To be a Christian, you have to believe in a literal resurrection. Or can you just simply say, yes, I'm a Christian. I believe that Jesus figuratively rose from the grave, meaning that, yes, the idea of him rising from the grave has lived on, but it wasn't historical. Or to be a Christian, do you have to believe that Jesus is the eternal Son of God breaking into history? Or can you say something simply like, Jesus embodies what it means to be a human. He embodies what it means to live the life that we should live, so therefore we could call Him the Son of God. We're in our series called The Gospel. And the word gospel means good news. It is not advice about how you should live, but news about a story. News about a true story that God has broken into history to do something, to rescue you. And what I want to claim today, what I want to propose to you today, is that if Jesus did not literally, as the eternal Son of God, come into the world, and if He didn't die and rise then it's not actually good news. It's actually horrible news. It's condemning news, because that means that there is a man who has lived that you don't come close to living like. And his perfect record crushes you. And so you live your life without, you live your life filled with guilt, without forgiveness, because he never actually dealt with sin on the cross. And if he didn't actually rise from the grave, well, that means this is all that there is. And it's over and it's done with. So what's the point? And if he's not going to ever return and make things right, then we never get the world we long for. So today, we are looking at the real historical event of Christ. And if you leave here today... And this does not sound like the greatest news you have absolutely ever heard. Either you are misunderstanding it, or I have done a bad job with it. And I suppose both are possible. (laughs) So we're in Romans 1. Why was that so funny? We're in Romans 1, verses 16 and 17. Let me read it to you. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed, from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Now this verse says that the power of God for salvation is revealed in something. The power of God for salvation is revealed in something, did you catch what it was? In the power, in salvation, the righteousness of God is revealed. Now, what's the righteousness of God? The righteousness of God is God's faithfulness in keeping the promises that He has made to humanity. And He's made some mighty big promises to you. So it is very good news about His faithfulness. And what I want you to see is because of the promises that God has made to you, it's Sparked the event of God coming into the world and dying and rising. He made big promises and it cost him a lot. And it cost him a lot because there was not just a, a Christ event, 
but there was a human event. And in this human event, we see why it, got, it cost God so much to love you. There's some really bad news about something that has happened. And that bad news is that we have lost the city of Tov. Now what is Tov? What is Tov? Tov? The Hebrew word Tov means good. So when God created everything, He created it, and each day He said, this is good. And the next day He said, this is good. And He continued to say that until He finished all of creation, and He says, this is very good. The Hebrew word Tov means good, but it's not quite what you think. You think of the word good, and you think of Eden as being perfect. It was not perfect. Perfect implies completion. It implies that something has been brought to its end, and its goal, and its telos. But there, in the beginning, it was not brought to its end. It was the beginning of it all. So the word tov has to do with abundant life. So you think of a seed. A seed is not tov yet. And then you take that seed and you drop it into the earth, and up comes a fruit tree. But we're still not at Tov yet. We're still not at abundant life. And then the, the fruit from that tree falls to the earth. And more trees sprout up until you have a grove of fruit trees. Now we have reached the abundant life of Tov. This is what Eden was all about. And here's the goal of humanity. God says, okay, take the goodness, the Tov of Eden, and make it cover all the earth. That was the job, the goal, the end. That's what would make the earth perfect. But something happened. The whole city got lost. God created Eden so that it might cover all the earth. And I want you to know this. The reason that you aren't completely happy, the reason you worry way too much, the reason that you are plagued with, plagued with anxiety, the reason that you chase after contentment but it always seems to slip you through your fingers like grasping water, it's because this city of Tob has been lost. Eden has been lost. So how did this happen? Well, what I want to do today, briefly here, is get very close, like with a magnifying glass, and look at this tree of the knowledge of good and evil that Adam and Eve ate from and why it destroyed everything. So take the magnifying glass and let's look really close, because it's confusing. People ask, why in the world is it a bad thing for Adam and Eve to eat from this fruit that's going to give them wisdom and help them know good from evil? Why is that a bad thing? Well, you're assuming that Adam and Eve didn't know good, but they did. It's all throughout the entire text. What it's saying is God created everything good or toe. It was filled with life, abundant life. They knew God who is life. I mean, if you are going to be walking with God, you have to understand that you are walking with the creator of life. Therefore, he is the ultimate hope. So if you have him, you have goodness, you have hope. So here's what happened. When the fruit was eaten, Adam and Eve had nothing to compare what they knew to. Life was just as it was, but we know it to be good. But when they ate, they were all of a sudden aware that there was something that wasn't good. There was something that was evil. 
And as soon as they became aware of it, it gripped them. And it pulled them into this abyss of death. And it's been holding us there ever since. Evil always has a way of grasping us, whether we realize it or not. What should have happened is they should have just trusted God. They saw the tree, and listen to this. It says that Eve saw that it was good for food, tov for food, but it was not good for food. In fact, it was the exact opposite. If tov means abundant life, and by eating it, they die, then what's happened is they've been tricked. They have been deceived. Look at what they do. The very first thing they do, they've eaten the fruit, and then God comes looking for them. And as he looks for them, what do they do? They hide. Now think about this. They are hiding from he who is told, he who is life. So there, in Eden, already, they're running from life. And they're screaming. It's horrible. They're running. Already in Eden, we see hints of death. Because they're running from the God who is life. They're cutting themselves off from Him. Now, I want you to see something. There's a pattern. The knowledge of evil lured them in. And then we see a pattern start to set. So here's the pattern. They saw. They thought it was good. They desired it, and they took it. They saw, desired, and took. Now this pattern will repeat itself throughout the rest of history, throughout the rest of the Old Testament, and what we see is, is God's people in the Old Testament trying desperately to get back to Eden, only they keep falling into the same pattern. So I want you to watch this. And it's important that you see this, because it's plaguing you today. You see... You desire and you take. So let's take some heroes of the faith. Let's take Abraham first, who is known as the father of faith. So Abraham is told by God, go to the land that I will show you. Now this is supposed to be strong hints of Eden, of, of the city of Tob. So Abraham is on his way, getting us back. He's going to the land that God will show him. And then God says, I'm going to give you a, a child. And this child... Well, through this child and through you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Now, remember back the promise or the, the, the telling of God is what are you supposed to do, humanity? Take Eden and cover all the earth. What we see here by Abraham being the father of many nations is he is our new hope to spread Eden, to spread Tov over all the earth. Only watch what he does. God promises them that they're going to have a child. They're waiting and waiting and waiting. So they say, we must be missing something. So they look at Abraham's servant girl, and he takes her. She becomes pregnant. They didn't trust God, and it led to ruin. God always works good out of it. However, it led to ruin. Second, let's take, let's take King Saul. 
King Saul is the first king of Israel. Now notice something about Saul. He is called a king who is a head taller than every other man. In other words, when you look out in a crowd, you can see him. And Samuel, the prophet, isn't called a prophet when he's describing Saul. He's called a seer, another name for a prophet. It's a play on words. And then what we see Israel do is see Saul, take him, and make him their king. Now, here's the problem. Israel was supposed to have God as their king. But they desired a king like all the other nations. So they saw one, and they took him, and made him their king. They thought it was a good thing, and it led to ruin. Same mistake again. Uh, king David, uh, the man after God's own heart, he sees Bathsheba bathing. He sees her, desires her, takes her, leads to ruin. The same pattern repeats over and over and over again. And we all, you all, and all of us are making that same mistake over and over again. Here's the question. What are the apples in your life that you think are good for you, but actually are bad for you? What are the apples that you're seeing, you're desiring, and you're taking? And what are the things that you look in your kid's life and you say, this would be good for them? And you're so confident this thing would be good for them. But if we look throughout history, what we find is that humanity, over and over again, is so confident that we know what's good for us, but we keep doing things that are horrible for us. leading us further from Tov. We think if we had more money, we would be happier. So we play the lottery. And if you win, statistically speaking, you will be less happy after winning the lottery. Now, common sense will tell you, well, if you had more money, you'd be able to have more things, and you'd be able to help people more, and this should make you much happier. Turns out that it doesn't. The same way Adam and Eve are in the garden, and they're looking at this food, and they're saying, this is good. Let's eat it. It's common sense. Only God told them not to, but it made more sense for them to eat, so they didn't trust God, and it led to ruin. We're making the same mistake. We're seeing something. Taking it. Thinking it's good. And it's causing so many problems in our life. Because we're not simply just trusting that God knows best for what we should be doing, what we need in our life. And there's another mistake that you're likely making. You want to be back at the good life. You want Tov again. You're searching for it. Trying to find it. And you think that you can get back there on your own. Now you might not say that, but the way that you act is screaming that you think you've got this. So let me tell you what happens. When we try to get back to Eden, Without God, we are doing it in vain, and here's why. He is life. So if you try to get back to the good life without God, you're chasing the good life without the one who gives the good life, so you never actually get the good life. In actuality, by chasing after Eden, by chasing after Tob, the good life, you actually run further away because you're trying to get there without God. 
So what you do is build your own kingdom that continues to get further and further and further from God's kingdom. In fact, there is a very strong potential that you are hiding from God through all the good things that you're doing. Now why would I say that? There's a saying, the easiest way to avoid Jesus is by trying really hard to be good. Because then you don't need a rescuer. You can get back to toe on your own. But you never make it. In fact, you're getting further and further away, like someone in quicksand trying to get out, only sinking deeper into death. And so what we do is we see what we think is good and what a good life is, and we try to live it. And then we go before God and we say, God, look how hard I've tried. Aren't you so proud of me? Aren't you seeing what I'm doing? Don't you love me? Don't you accept me? And the problem is that God sees us doing a bunch of things that we think are good, but in the end, what it really looks like to him is us taking the apple over and over and over again because we're trying to do it without him. He said, we've got it. I don't need him. And it, in a way, Adam and Eve knew what they were doing, and in a way, they didn't. And it's the same with you. There's something inside of you that wants to take the apple. There's something that you don't inside of you, though, that doesn't realize you're taking the apple. But what we need to know is we continue to do the pattern. And what you need is a great pattern breaker. You need Tove himself. Because we keep running from him. And we keep running from Tove, and so we need Tove to come and chase us down. The good life to come and chase us down. And this is Christ. This is the Christ event. This is God. In Jesus, this is God being faithful. This is the God of righteousness. He's faithful to every single promise that he has made to you. And here's the big, here's the big point. Here's the big argument that I'm making. If Christ is only an idea and not the actual son, eternal son of God come into the world, then you never get back to Toph. Because you can't do it on your own. And the idea of him and the concept of him can't get you home. You need him to come for you. To break the pattern. So here's how he breaks the pattern. This is the big event of Christianity. Christmas, cross, Easter, Ascension as king, and then the one day returned as king. These are five parts, but it's one event. And I need to tell you something important here. I want to let you in on a little secret that happens among Bible people, scholars, and pastors. They've been fighting. And they've been fighting about what the center of the gospel is. And some will say that the cross is the center of the gospel. And others will say, no, it's the resurrection. And others will say, no, it's the incarnation, it's the Christmas time. That's the center of the gospel. So what is it? Well, it's kind of a foolish argument. What we've been saying about the gospel is, well, I told you the story of me. And I told you that when I first discovered the gospel, I saw it like a diamond that I had dug up out of the ground. And it was beautiful and it changed the way that I saw the world and it added color and life to everything. And I cherished it with my heart and I studied it with my mind. And everything was just great. 
And then, something happened to me. I started having new sin in my life, new struggles, new trials, and it didn't seem like the gospel, this diamond gospel, was helping me anymore. And I didn't know what to do. And my relationship with God grew very stale, and Christianity became boring to me. But then I made another discovery. I found the whole diamond mine. And I realized that the gospel is not simply a diamond, but is a whole diamond mine. And here's the, here's the key to it all. Each diamond represents a part of the gospel. And you have wounds in your life and sins in your life and problems in your life. And there's a specific part of the gospel, there's a specific diamond that will help you most. So you have to find it. So is the cross the center? Is the resurrection the center? Well, it kind of depends on what you're going through in your life. So when someone says the cross is the center of the gospel, what they are saying is that I am plagued by guilt and by shame, and my sin is haunting me, and I can't bear to look at myself in the mirror. But then I hear this news that the Son of God has come into the world, and he's died on the cross in my place, and all my sins have been dealt with, all my shame and guilt is gone. Ah, oh, this is so beautiful. The cross must be the center. But then you take someone else, and they have sin in their life that is imprisoning them. And it's ruining their marriage, it's ruining their career, it's ruining their life. And they need the power and strength to mortify or to crush or to kill the sin in their life. So what they need to hear is that the same power that rose Jesus up from the grave lives in them, and if they will focus in on him and his resurrection, they will have the strength to kill the sin in their life, restore their marriages, and restore their life. So the resurrection is good news for them. You see, what are your wounds? So it's not about what's at center. It's about what do you need most. So let's just walk through these big five that make up one big event. Because it's one event. Here's the thing. It's not five events. It's one event. One gospel event. One Christ story. So, incarnation, cross, Easter, ascension, return. Let's go. So, Christmas. Tov comes into the world. Life. Abundant life, as it was meant to be, breaks into our world of death. In John 1, 1 through 5, we are told that Jesus is God, creator, and he wrote himself into creation, and he has come as the great life giver to bring life back into this world. And then we are told he goes off into the wilderness. And for 40 days, he's tempted by Satan. And what Satan does is take him up on the, right? He's breaking the pattern. See this here. So as he goes to break the pattern, Satan takes him up upon the mountain, has him look over all the earth and all the empires, and he says, I will give you all of these if you will worship me. Now here's the lie. Jesus' father has already given him all the earth. There is not a square inch of all the earth that is not his, that he will one day not claim. He knows not the fault for the lie, but we, in the garden, heard the same thing. We thought we could be kings. 
So we took and we ate, and we thought it would be good to be king. But he passes the test. He is the pattern breaker. And then we get to the cross. But just before the cross, we see one more big temptation. Jesus is in the garden, and he's praying. And he says these words to his father as he prays. Let this cup pass from me, but your will be done. The, the cup is the cross. Let your will be done means not my desires, but your desires. Not what I think is good, Father, but what you think is good, because I trust you. Even in this moment of my greatest fear, I trust you most. And then he goes to the cross. And there on the cross, he absorbs all of your sin and is crushed so that sin in your life might be crushed as well. It's power, it's influence. All the guilt and shame can be gone. And then he's swallowed up by death, but guess what? He is life. And so there, inside of the belly of death, he comes alive, and he eats death from the inside until he swallows it up fully and breaks up out of it. What I just told you is historical. It is not figurative. Let me read this to you. This is what Paul says, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. Here we, here we go. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, Peter, then to the twelve, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, last of all, as one untimely born, he appeared also to me. Now, I want to focus your attention in on Paul saying he appeared to 500 and they are still alive. Why is he saying that? Well, it's really hard to convince people of something so miraculous as this if you're the only one who's seen it. But if for 40 days Jesus has been continuing to appear to people risen, up to 500 people at one time and they are still alive, that means that the people that Paul is writing to can go and talk to those people and confirm it. In other words, Paul is going through great efforts to prove that the resurrection is historical, not just figurative. And then we're told that he ascended into heaven sits at the right hand of the Father, and you know what he's doing there? I hope you do. He's testifying to the Father that you are his, and he is yours, and you're united to him, and thereby you being united, you know what that means? The Spirit of God dwells in you. Tov is in you. God is in you. Abundant life is in you. And that means that when death swallows you up, it will spit you right back out just the same way that the whale spit Jonah out. You taste nasty of death. <laughs> and lastly, we are told that one day, he will return. And he will make all things right. Hurting, death, pain, tears, loss, heartbreak, 
gone. As if they never happened. But somehow by them happening, make everything all the better and sweeter. Now those five, it's one event, five diamonds. And we're going to take each one of those diamonds as we walk through the series. And those diamonds, those events also have promises attached to them. So there's so many diamonds that we get to look at. We're exploring the mind, and it's going to be amazing. But until we get through it all, I want to leave you with this. I want to give you something that's going to help you begin heading back to Tobe or help you along the way. I want to insert you into the story of Peter walking on water. Which is your story as well. At least it could be. So Peter and the disciples are on the boat. And there's a storm. And there's wild waters and there's wind. And when the Bible ever talks about chaotic waters, you have to immediately think of death. Whenever the Bible talks about chaotic waters, it is talking about death and evil. Something's wrong. But then look at what we see. Jesus comes walking from land up upon the waters, up over sin and death. Do you know what that means? It's Tov. It's him, the king of Tov, the one who is life, come hovering up above the waters of sin and death. It can't hold him. It can't take him down. And then he calls Peter out on the water. And Peter does it. He walks above the water. Peter is now towed. He's now life above the waters of sin and death. And I hope you know this. What is more miraculous than Peter walking on water is what Peter walking on water represents. Peter has just broken the pattern. Look at what, if, if you read the story, you'll see he was looking, his eyes were fixed upon Christ, who is Tov. But then, he does something. Exactly what Adam and did, he falls into the pattern. And he takes his eyes off of Christ and he looks at something you can't even look at. It says he looks at the wind. Now Matthew is telling us something here. You can't see the wind. Matthew's pointing us all the way back to the story, all the way in the beginning, where Adam and Eve did the same thing. Peter fell in. But there, in the waters, Peter becomes an example of what we ought to do when we fall into the waters, the word he cries out, he cries out three words. Save me, Lord. The cry of every single one of us, because we all fall into the pattern, is Lord, save me. And the same way he pulls Peter up out of the waters of sin and death, the same way he pulls you up out of it. And then, in the boat, Jesus gets in the boat with them, and then they, they do something very strange, something you don't do to a human. They worship him. And that is a call for us today to realize this is no mere man. This is the eternal Son of God who has literally and historically entered into our world of death. 
to turn it back around and bring us back to Tob because he and he alone hovers over the waters of sin and death and he and he alone can reach in and pull you out. So, he has come for real. So go to him. Let's pray. Father, we cry out. As dead men and women in the waters of sin and death, crying out for you to save us. And as you have promised that when you heard our cries, you came. You've been faithful. You are the God of righteousness who hears the cries of his people and answers. So God, teach us how to cry out, Lord, save me. Lord, save me. Every day, Lord, save me. Save me from myself. Save me from the world around me. Save me from sin. Save me from shame. Save me from guilt. Save me from my past and my present and my future. And bring me back to my true home, to the lost city where I belong, the city of Eden, the city of Tov. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.